Hello, and welcome to BNP Paribas Asset Management's weekly market podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist. This week, I'm joined by Vince Nichols, who is the investment specialist for our global emerging market equity product. Uh, and we thought we'd take advantage of Vince's presence this week to focus just on emerging markets. So in my discussion at the beginning, instead of uh, recounting what we've seen broadly in the markets over last week and what we might expect next week, think a little bit more longer term. Uh, the trends we've seen in emerging markets over the last year, over the last decade, frankly, uh, and what we anticipate we might see now through the rest of this year. First, then, if we think about emerging markets, I imagine we're all fairly familiar with the long-term bull case, if you will, for emerging markets. Uh, for example, you have higher uh, population growth rates, so demographics in the favor of emerging markets, potential for productivity catch-up, uh, the advantage that a lot of emerging markets have that they can take advantage of developments that have already taken place and develop markets and just adopt them without having to invest all that money to come up with these innovations. So that's all well and good. But unfortunately, equity markets haven't necessarily always followed that path. If you look at the relative performance of emerging markets versus developed since around 1975, Frankly, there have been waves, uh, roughly of around 10 years, where you see either emerging market outperformance or underperformance. And unfortunately, at least if you're investing in emerging markets, it's been relative underperformance for the last 10 years or so. Though, interestingly, that's been more against U.S. equities as opposed to the rest of developed markets. Uh, and a lot of that is driven by the performance of the U.S. technology sector, which explains many of the divergences that you see in different markets. With that perspective, then, if we think about what might change from now, a couple of things to keep in mind. The first is that, thanks to the coronavirus, uh, you see not only dramatic fiscal and monetary stimulus in developed markets from the Fed, from the ECB, but also in China. And if you look at what happened for emerging markets back in 2015 and 2016, when China also launched a very significant stimulus package, subsequent to that, you saw several years of emerging market outperformance. So at least from a macro picture, uh, you might have a scenario where you have a driver for emerging market performance. Another key advantage potentially for emerging markets right now are valuations. I mentioned the outperformance of U.S. technology sector, but along with that uh, has become quite high valuations, whether you look at price-to-earnings ratios or price-to-book ratios, and the relative multiple, that is the P.E. or the price-to-book ratio of developed markets relative to emerging markets, uh, is quite attractive in the favor of emerging markets right now, and particularly in the tech sector. So we want to keep that in mind. Uh, the other thing to think about in terms of the dynamics within emerging markets uh, are the weights and the dynamics of the different sectors, in particular technology, uh, in Asia, in China, in Korea, in Taiwan, versus what tend to be more commodity-sensitive markets in Latin America and in emerging markets. So just some broad themes to think about, but now let's turn to the expert, Vince. The topic 
that is obviously on everyone's mind right now is the coronavirus. So that's probably the best place to start our discussion. How is the pandemic evolving in the emerging world? Uh, thank you, Daniel, and, and thanks for that, that great background. Uh, to answer your question, as we all know, the virus originated in China, which is about 40% of the MSCI EM index. Uh, and thus, emerging markets began to underperform in late January before taking a steep dive lower with the rest of the world in late February. And then, of course, continuing through the middle of March. Uh, what may be surprising to some, though, is that for the full quarter, Asian markets actually outperformed not only the rest of EM, but the developed markets also. And ironically, China was the top performing major market in the world during the quarter. It was actually Latin America that fared worse during this crisis, being the world supplier of raw materials, as, as Daniel alluded to in his introduction. So the epicenter of the outbreak then moved to Europe, followed by the U.S., and we're now witnessing a surge of confirmed cases in Latin America, uh, Brazil in particular, but also Peru, Chile, Mexico. The situation in India is also deteriorating rapidly as it has quickly moved up the list of countries for total confirmed cases, now ranking fourth in the world. And unless Brazil and India are able to significantly slow the spread of the virus in coming weeks, they could conceivably have the most confirmed cases in the world in the not-too-distant future. Uh, China is no longer even in the top 20 of countries for reported cases or deaths, if you believe the reported numbers. Uh, but after the outbreak in China, the virus spread to the wealthier developed countries as people in those countries are more likely to travel internationally, uh, either for business or, or holiday. Um, and it is only recently uh, reaching the poorer corners of the world. However, uh, the developing world is, is far less equipped to combat the crisis. In the U.S., Europe, and more developed parts of Asia, many people have the ability to work from home or even not work at all for a period of time to protect themselves. Uh, while the poor populations of the world, they don't have this, that option. And, and many live in very densely populated cities where the virus can spread like wildfires. So the humanitarian crisis there is several degrees worse. Thanks, Vince. You rightly highlight how the virus has evolved in different ways and at a different pace in different countries. And importantly, uh, there are great differences in the capacity and the ability of countries to combat the virus. From an investor's point of view, what are the implications of all of this? Should investors be avoiding emerging markets as a whole right now? That's a great question. And, and we talk about how, how much worse the situation is. It's becoming an EM. Uh, but while EM has underperformed for the better part of the last decade, there are actually many reasons to believe that a reversal in relative performance is ahead of us in both the short-term and intermediate to long-term. Uh, and you alluded to this at, at the beginning, Daniel. Uh, just looking at valuations, EM is relatively attractive for equity investors. Uh, and EM valuations perennially trade at a discount to developed markets. But even against longer-term averages, that discount is approaching extreme levels. Uh, the accompanying documents that you provided, Daniel, which are very good, by the way, uh, elaborate on the details of this argument, so I won't get too into the weeds here. Uh, to summarize, though, on a price-to-book basis, EM versus MSCI World is at the lowest level since 2003, and for the technology sector, the lowest since uh, the 1990s, even. And on a PE basis, relative valuations are at the lowest point since 2005. So, that the relative valuation uh, is a very strong case, and the, just the extremes we're seeing today um, 
it's unlikely to persist uh, for much longer if you just think about mean reversion. Uh, and Daniel, you also highlight a number of potential macro headwinds in your research for EM. But all things considered, the growth forecasts are much better for EM than DM. Uh, the IMF just recently upgraded their global growth projections with significant deterioration from even the projections in April. Uh, even so, uh, EM growth is still expected to be far less bad for 2020, with advanced economies expected to contract a full 8%, while developing economies are only expected to contract 3% for 2020. And even the rebound in 2021 uh, from those depressed levels is still expected to be better for the developing world. So what is the opportunity cost to investors that ought to avoid EM if economic growth does rebound more or less as expected in coming years? And then what is to be made of the aggressive fiscal and monetary easing in developed economies, the U.S. in particular? This probably is a relative benefit in the short term for the developed world and, you know, in my opinion, may already be reflected in market performance. However, it seems unlikely to me that the fiscal situation in the U.S. will improve materially in the near term. Politicians on both sides of the aisle remain very comfortable with very loose fiscal policy, and any attempts to reverse central bank balance sheet expansion has proven to be problematic for the U.S. market, as we saw at the end of last year with the Fed again expanding its balance sheet well before the current pandemic. This probably limits the potential upside of U.S. dollar appreciation despite the many challenges facing EM currencies and periods of weak U.S. dollar performance has been an exceptional tailwind for EM in the past. If you think back to most of the 2000s decade or after the global financial crisis or even shorter periods like the, the year of 2017, for example. Additionally, all this developed market stimulus will have a very positive secondary effect on EM economies. And this all comes free of any additional fiscal burden. Certainly, it is an advantage for emerging markets that they can free ride, so to speak, uh, on what happens in the developed markets, and that certainly should be helpful in the future. When we think, again, more broadly about the markets, uh, understandably, right now, we're all very focused on the pandemic, uh, but there are other things that are driving the market. Are there any themes that you want to highlight or think investors are missing in the context of emerging markets? Sure, that, that, that's a great question. Uh, the, the first thing I would like to highlight in that regard is the already weak financial sector, which has drastically underperformed year-to-date. Uh, we believe that underperformance there is justified and, and, and believe the trend will continue. As you mentioned in your research, Daniel, and as I alluded to earlier, many EM governments are constrained in their ability to match Western governments' far-reaching stimulus packages. In many emerging markets, monetary policy stimulus transmission will likely take place via the financial system versus direct actions by central banks, as we're seeing in the developed world. Uh, now, this, that's not universally the case, but uh, far more the case in, in, the develop, in the developed world versus the emerging world. This places an additional burden on financial service companies, many of which likely bear the long-term brunt of such stimulus in the form of heightened asset quality strain for many years to come. Just yesterday, in fact, in, in the U.S., the Fed ordered banks to limit dividends, halt buybacks, uh, and they're worried about a protracted economic downturn and, and the resulting hundreds of billions of dollars in soured loans and, and the potential for that. If this is the situation in the U.S., just imagine what it will be like for EM banks that are far less independent of government influence. 
But so that's one of the, the very important themes that we have in mind right now. And, and probably the most overlooked investment opportunity within emerging markets is also mostly outside of EM benchmarks even. And that is the opportunity in gold mining companies. Many of these companies have significant operations in the emerging world, such as in Latin America, Africa, Turkey, and parts of Asia. But in many cases, they will opt to list their companies in U.S. or Canadian exchanges. Gold prices have the unique feature of likely benefiting from an increase in money creation. And that's whether or not it is effective in adding value to economic health and supporting asset prices. As long as central bank balance sheets remain bloated, it is unlikely that there will be a material reversal in gold prices. Uh, and then if you think about the companies themselves, on average, gold mining companies have drastically improved their balance sheets since 2014, many moving to to, to net cash even, and as a whole, uh, very low debt levels. They're growing revenues, they're increasing dividends, and trade at steep, steep discounts to historic price to NAV levels. Additionally, one of the largest costs for gold mining companies is energy consumption, and everyone has seen what has happened to oil prices during the current pandemic. So if you think about that investment opportunity, you don't even need gold to appreciate more than it has already. And even if there's a slight depreciation back to maybe levels of 1600, these companies are still very cheap. Uh, and lastly, what many of our listeners will find very interesting is the relatively strong ESG profiles of gold mining companies versus the in industry. They actually tend to score quite well um, in, in their ESG profiles. So these, these are a couple of the major themes that we're focused on today. Great. Thanks, Vince. If I can uh, summarize what Vince has shared with us. Uh, as we're aware, the virus has made its way around the world, initially identified in China, which now appears to have largely uh, come to grips with it. But unfortunately, now we see the biggest increase in, increase in cases uh, in other emerging markets, notably Brazil uh, and India. And the concern being that for emerging markets in general, clearly poorer than developed markets, and so let's able to withstand both the economic as well as the healthcare effects of the virus. The investment implications, however, are not always so obvious. For example, China actually outperformed um, many countries in the first quarter, despite having to struggle mightily with the virus. And if we think about EM more broadly, though it has underperformed for most of the last decade, there are reasons to think this could be the moment that it turns around. Valuations are relatively quite attractive now, partly because of that underperformance. Uh, we shouldn't forget that growth should still be higher in emerging markets than in developed markets. And even the stimulus that developed markets are able to implement to offset the coronavirus will have a spillover effect to the benefit of other emerging markets. Other investment themes that people might not be aware of, financial sector within emerging markets is underperformed and there are pretty good fundamental reasons for that. And actually, the team anticipates that that's going to continue, but their position for that outcome in their portfolios. Uh, an opportunity with potentially more upside uh, is in gold mining companies, uh, with the very interesting point that Vince made that a lot of these companies aren't necessarily uh, represented fully in the emerging market benchmarks. Uh, and certain factors that are benefiting the industry, falling oil prices, we've certainly seen what's happened with oil prices. Uh, and then another 
perhaps surprising factor is that the industry often has a relatively strong ESG profile uh, that is certainly becoming more and more important to a lot of our investors as it is to BNP Paribas management. So that's it from us this week. Thank you very much for listening in. We wish you all very well and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.